Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast. Um, you know this bit, this is the bit before the bit that you actually came to listen to. This is the bit where I say, come on, follow the social medias, give us a rating and review, all that stuff really good for us. This week we're talking to uh, Sam about his horror history and discussing the movie Event Horizon. Ooh, I think that's got something to do with the black hole. Um... Uh, I do have to apologise going into this episode that for some reason my audio has got really um, like background noise for some reason and I don't know why. So you'll have to put up with that while you go into it. But uh, you know, I suppose it's better than listening to my actual voice. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, here's the episode. Enjoy it. Um, I still can't think of anything witty to say. <laughs> Welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast, a weekly horror movie podcast with me, Mark, and him, Matthew. Hello. Hello. Um, This is a horror movie podcast. I said that. Sometimes we have a guest, sometimes we don't. This week, we do have a guest in um, Sam. So, hello, Sam. Hello. How are you today? Uh, Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. Um, Apology to uh, the listeners. I'm just fighting off a flu at the moment, so I'm... uh... Might sound a little bit weird. It's not how I normally sound. I think you sound wonderfully sexy. Uh, well, not sexy. Well, I do. It, it... No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Enthralling. Uh, a, voice... a very handsome Zoom picture. So, yes. Oh, yes. We're on a little bit. It's not accurate. No, well, but the Zoom picture itself is incredibly handsome. I may swoon at some point, but <laughs> if I do, I'll edit it out. So there you go, you see. Um, the magic of radio. <laughs> or the magic of recorded radio, at least. Mm. So um, let's see. What are we supposed to be doing? Uh, I suppose we're supposed to be doing a would you rather, really. And I, I should have come up with one, and I have not. So that's exciting. Um, don't worry, I'll find one. This is the, these are the bits that I can edit around, you see. This is why we don't get on Radio 4, isn't it? This? Yeah. It's oh, actually, no, actually, I did think of one the other day. I was thinking, would you rather be a vampire or a werewolf? Ah, mm. That's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot I've of fun there, isn't it? I've got some questions about it. Go on. Uh, what kind of vampire? Um... Because if it's like werewolf? a yeah, or what kind of werewolf? Traditional. Um, so not not Blade, not uh, not no. Edward. No, you, no, you can't be a you can't be a I'm all right in the day vampire. Hmm. Can we be one of those cool jorts werewolves from Twilight? Um, I feel that's no. No, I want you to be a full moon type werewolf. Um, so it's like what we uh, do in the shadows rules for both of them. Yeah, American. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, traditional all, all the way. So we're werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> 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 if 
that's such a good line. Oh. Well, I've had enough time to think about it, so why don't I go in? Um, so I'm going to go for, I think, being a vampire because I think you sort of, you get a life all the time. Um, you know, See, you I was get just your, thinking you get more of a life if you're a vamp, if you're a werewolf. You get a supernatural life all the time, though, and I fancy the powers and 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 the and the and the stalking with my hands out in the air. Ooh. A bit of that. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna kill people and uh, have a familiar as well, maybe. He'll oh yeah, out. I forgot about the familiars. Yeah, that's. Yeah. That's an extra bit of sales salesmanship. On yeah, it's an appeal there. <laughs> hmm. This is a, oh, this is might be the toughest we've had so far. First, the downside of being a, a werewolf is that you don't really you don't really get any of the benefits of being a werewolf as a general rule. Unless I don't know. I unless mean, you get to you get to sniff a lot of butts in dog form. Do, <laughs> do werewolves in human excuse. form? get any extras do they get better smell or dogs bark at them dogs bark at them so you'd be a great postman then yeah 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 i think i think i'm leaning towards vampire now because you like you say you don't really get the benefit there there are there are fewer downsides to being a werewolf but not as much of an upside i'd say so yeah i think i'm gonna go for being a dracula (laughs) <laughs> I think if if I could be uh, a Nosferatu, what's he called? Count Orlok style, yeah. bald, sinister vampire. Uh, yeah, I'd go for it. All right, vampires but, all around. Then we're yeah. we're three way vampires. Although I would miss eating hot chips. <laughs> oh wait, can vampires <laughs> not eat chips? Well. Uh... Not if we're going by what in, what we do in the shadows rule. Right, hang, hang on, I changed my answer. You can't eat human food. Human food. But I also think you you would have to eat huge amounts of protein if you're a werewolf. I think uh, that the dog body can handle, you know, the, the amount of carbs that that humans get through. I feel like as well, if you're a werewolf, you could because you can go down two roads with it. You can either spend a lot of money um, making sure that you don't kill anybody, you know, hire yourself a, well, whatever you, whatever it is you need to make sure you don't get out of the room. Or, of course, you could just let yourself go and have a three-day killing spree. Um, but you may, you may get killed during the killing spree. Werewolves are rubbish. Yeah, I think the only, the only way I'd choose... A werewolf as if I got to be a sexy twilight werewolf. Well, at least you look like one of them lads anyway, with a, with your six pack. With my awful hair. With your, your awful jorts. hair and your six pack that you can't stop showing off on camera. Every every episode he stands up to show it off. I don't. I just have a picture of John Cena as my <laughs> Zoom avatar. <laughs> jorts and... Uh... But we couldn't see it. Uh, right. Lovely. So yeah, that was the... That was, that was an episode of um, I don't know what I'd rather, and um, so now it's much we... more hotly contested than I was expecting. No, we... oh, not bad considering I didn't have the question at hand. Um, right, so Sam, let's get into your questions if you're ready and raring and willing to go. I'm ready to rock. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, when <laughs> did you become a horror fan? You remember? 
Yeah, I can. So, um, full disclosure, I'm not, I wasn't as a, as a kid, a big horror fan. Mm. Uh, I didn't enjoy him much as a kid. I, I think I probably didn't see a horror movie. And so in my head, they were much scarier than, you know, than, than they actually are. Right. Um, so, you know, when like, when we'd be picking videos at Blockbuster or aging myself a bit there or DVDs, um, I'd always try and guide my friends towards, you know, the the sex comedies, the action movies, uh, rather than the horror films. Uh, but I think I probably became a fan um, during the kind of zombie movie revival of the early 2000s. You know, the oh, yeah. uh, 28 Days Later, uh, Shaun of the Dead, uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something really fascinating about it, I think. Yeah, those are good movies, especially that we we mentioned the Donna Dead remake on here the other day. Because um, was that when we were discussing what is a good remake or is somebody else? I yeah. can't, re- yeah, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a good one. Although I must admit, I'm not a big fan of the f- today's fast moving zombie, which I think I've already said as well. That's a wholly um, contested issue. Yeah, I think that was also the time that like George A. Romero just started remaking his own films, wasn't it? Uh. He he made a bunch of new ones as well, Diary of the Dead, Land of the Dead. Did he? Uh, re- there was another one. Did he re- remake the Crazies, or did somebody else do that? that one? I think it was someone else. Yeah, was that originally? Who was that originally? Was that Wes? It was Craven? Romero. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you just said that. Um. So can you remember what the first horror movie was that you saw? You know what? I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been. Uh, I listened to the podcast and I think, what would I, how would I answer this? Because I probably can't remember. Uh, but I looked back and uh-huh. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the first one I saw was Identity 2003. It's like a slasher movie with uh, Ray Liotta. Uh, They're stuck Cusack in a motel. Well, isn't it? Cusack, yep. Yeah. And uh, favourite of the pod, Jake Busey. Is that right? Yeah, he's, he's in there with his, with his, Oh, he's, is he the is he the guy? Is he is he one of the wait? What's he? Is he is he one of the criminals in the car? Yeah, yeah. Ah, is that the one that's set in a motel? That's mm. right. It's all raining the whole time. Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. I remember um, a friend of mine made me watch it because they thought it was one of the best films they'd ever seen, and I think, as I recall, it's got quite the twist at the end. Well, um, my brother made me watch it, and. Uh, he his way to sell it to me to watch it was just to tell me what the twist was. He's like, "This twist is great, <laughs> so you'll you'll love it." Magic, <laughs> and it was. Yeah, I, I I do remember thinking it was pretty good. To be fair, I, I, I went. I, I must admit, I've gone through a lot of stages in my life, and one of them would have been always hating anything anyone recommended to me. So I probably did hate it. Um, but only because I'm an a- actual pain in the ass. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a good one to go in on first. Um, it's not too gory, as I recall. No, there's a little bit of blood, but it's uh, isn't there? Hang on, I think there is a, there is a severed body part there, at one point. There is also you you don't see it happen, but there is a, a very graphic corpse with a baseball bat involved oh yeah oh yeah that actually might be a friend of the pod jake Busey. 
Yeah, I think you might be I right. I think that's though. how he gets taken out. <sighs> but, but yeah, I think I think that is a good one to start with because it's not, like you say, too gory or, or scary, but it gives, you know, it's got a bit of tension. It's got a, a nice, nice twist, like you say. And it's, I kind of think it would say it's like a bit of a low budget sixth sense in that regard. <laughs> in terms of the setup and and what's happening with it, uh, and that it's not, you know, it's notionally a horror film, but not too heavy that it's alienating for people that don't really like horror films. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so uh, it had it obviously had its mo- its scary moments, which leads me on to what's the scariest horror movie? Hmm. So. I think for me, the scariest horror movie is 28 Days Later. And I've already mentioned it, so I'm kind of going back on myself. But no, there's something about... it's Because it, it, it's set in Britain. I, the thing is, most horror movies you see are either set in Japan or America. Mm-hmm. And so much of the kind of the environment you don't... Uh, identi- at least I don't identify with, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 28 Days Later is in an environment we recognise. It could be happening just down the street from you. And so that's, that's scary to me. Yeah, right. I can I I can totally see that. Um I think we've we've mentioned this actually before. I think Matthew and your brother was on that. Yeah, it's a big it's a big favorite of Andrew, is that one? Yeah. That um yeah, just I think you're right, you know. I think because it's a familiar thing, seeing London, even just seeing it completely empty like that, there's something really, really creepy about it. And uh, I think you're right. I think maybe from our point of view it does there's a familiarity to it and, and um, on top of that as well a lot of the horror comes from people too yeah and yeah it's not that that's a, another layer of that familiarity i must admit i don't remember much about 28 days later because i think w- what you just said is there's a lot the worst bits are not the infected people so yeah no that's a good shout so what is the best kill oh best kill i love a good kill <laughs> Uh, in movies, in movies. Um, and uh, so I, I think for me, it's uh, in Bone Tomahawk, um, which I think if anyone's seen it, they'll know what it is. But there's a, uh, a fellow gets uh, held upside down by some kind of troglodytes and uh, sawn in half, starting at his, um, starting at his nuts and uh, ending his head. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's, it's very gruesome. Yeah, yeah um, it's, it's one that I've wanted to watch for ages, and just trying to find that right evening to get it on. I think I need I need to make that happen now. Yeah, got, definitely put put an evening aside for it. I've got to admit that that one's passed me by as well. There is a, there is a movie called Terrifier without the clown, and he does something very very similar to somebody. So I can mm. imagine what the kill is like, although. I don't know how gory it actually is because I haven't seen it, but the one in Terrify is awful. I sort of have this theory that once you go over the top, it sort of loses its... Um... It, need, it needs that relatability, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Once, once kills go over the top, then you can go, yeah, why not? <laughs> it's like a cartoon then. Yeah, yeah. That's why I hate the Achilles tendon so much because I just... Oh, yeah. Ooh. Back of the knees as well. There, that's yeah. always one that yeah. gets me. Because that's the what's one that the makes movie. Me that, uh... What's the movie where the guy gets his Achilles tendon cut through? Is that Hostel? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It happens Oof. in more than more films than you like, though. Um, Troy happens in Troy. <laughs> it happens in Urban Legend. Um, I think in one of the child's plays, Chucky jams a pencil into someone's ankle, which is pretty, pretty awful. Is it? I've got a a, a f- image of Pet Cemetery in my head as well for some reason. Uh, don't remember that. Is it? Does something come out of a grave and bite? Bite it, it might be that a, a cat scratches it. Uh, I think like Church the Cat goes for it. I, I could be completely wrong, but for some reason that that image is in my head. <sighs> but it, get, it could be. It could just be something I made up. Let's get off this. It's awful. Um, <laughs> so, what are standout effects? Okay, so um, it's between two. It's either uh, American Whale in London. No, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's how you know. <laughs> um, you listen to the pod. <laughs> yeah. Um, Finally. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I reckon uh, it's got to be another Romero film, Day of the Dead, uh, which is kind of a less known one. But there's a point. It's a really short little little moment, but it's incredible. Uh, a guy gets uh, overwhelmed by zombies and he gets his head pulled off. And as his head's coming off, which is great animatronic work, really, really cool. Uh, you can hear his scream. And as his voice box is stretched, they pitch his scream up. It's just it's great sound design. Great uh, animatronics. It's really gruesome. It's fantastic. You can find it on YouTube. Really, really cool. Yeah, those um, those movies are awesome. For those, um, um, oh, I've lost my, I've lost my. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Those movies are all are awful. Fuck yeah. <laughs> those <laughs> movies are awesome for those zombie attacks. There you go. For especially for because there's uh, a. Not exactly what you're saying, but I believe in Dawn of the Dead, someone gets sort of just generally pulled, oh, yeah, just, just pulled apart. Limb and, from uh, limb. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're always really well done. Um, mm. And one of the things that obviously I'm always saying is that just goes to show that the practical effects do do the job, do do a great job. Oh, absolutely. And I think you can tell that the people making the film are having a good time doing it as well. You know, there's these little touches put on it that show that the, the production crew are enjoying playing around with these severed limbs and stuff. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it was Tom Savini that, or... It is, it is something that does just feel like it should be a lot of fun to do. Just muck around with just manky stuff. Yeah, fake blood and severed heads. You know, you can stick your hand in and make its mouth move and stuff. Just great fun. <laughs> It's like a meat muppet. <laughs> meat muppet. I like the idea of meat muppet. It was Savini. Yes, it was Tom Savini. Um, sorry, I, I've got I've got distracted. I've got slightly obsessed with Tom Savini since learning about his having been a combat photographer. It really, uh, it's really made me want to see more of what he's got going on. I don't know why. Weird. I'm weird, but you know. Where did he work in Vietnam? Yes, I think so. Yeah, he was a combat photographer, so um, he used his own frame of reference when creating effects. So, hence the reason he's so good at it. But um, it's pretty awful. Um, is Tom Savini one of those guys who always looks old but never looks older? <laughs> yeah, like, he's so, like Noddy yeah. Holder. Yeah, I think so. He's going to be one of those <laughs> one of those guys that just suddenly goes grey completely and then really old. And like, hang on, I'm sure you were young. 
so the next question is somewhere around here. A movie that needs a sequel or movies that need to stop making sequels, or obviously if you've thought of both, go for both. It's got to be uh, a movie that needs a sequel. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to, you know, condemn movies to never have sequels. Sometimes sequels are the best, uh, you know, the best parts of a franchise. But um, no, it's got to be um, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I thought it was it was almost the perfect film for its time. Had it's got the new metal soundtrack. It's got I know they're divisive, but it's got fast zombies, which I I like. Um, it's bleak. It's really really bleak. It's probably the bleakest horror movie in terms of like the ending. It's just miserable. It's got Phil Dunphy from Modern Family, and <laughs> <laughs> and if if he's making another Dawn of the Dead film, it means he can't make anything else. Because every other film he's made has been garbage, except for that. Um, which again might be a controversial opinion, but I just think get him yeah, making Dawn I'm of the a, Dead. I'm movies. a Watchmen apologist. I, I like no, that. no. Yeah. You see, what Watchmen can't stand it. Uh, I like Watchmen. I mean, it's one of my favourite books. So I've got. I, lo- I love the comic. Yeah, I've got nothing against. Uh, uh, oh. I think the only I, thing I that... didn't uh, I didn't hate the, uh, the uh, Army of the Dead. No, I didn't actually. That's the one that was on um... the Army of the Dead and Army of Thieves. Yeah, yeah, it was on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it was the one that had the weird thing where they had to replace a whole actor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was fine. I like seeing Dave Batista in things. Yeah, me too. Me too. Even more so when he puts on little glasses. Ah <laughs> oh, well, then you'll be looking forward to knock at the cabin. Oh yeah, we saw the trailer for that the other day while we were, uh, I think we were about to see Smile. Yes, I saw it while I was going to see Smile. So that was a just on a side note for that. If you do go to see Smile, anyone uh, go with with a, a partner or a friend, someone who you spend a significant amount of time with, and then every now and again. Just smile at them very creepily while they're not looking. <laughs> and when they turn around, they'll shit their pants. <laughs> uh, I got my better half twice in the same day. Once after I told her I was going to do it. So it was, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with that one. Oh, that sounds fantastic. You know, I went to see that on my own, uh, as, is, as is usually my cinema ways. But yeah, it's interesting uh, having that Dawn of the Dead uh, have a sequel. Um because like you say, it does have quite a bleak ending. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's been much bleaker movies. I just watched a movie actually called Speak No Evil, which was part English, part Dutch, and that was the most bleak film I've ever seen. Um, I, well, I put it on our uh, horror group that we that we run, um, and it's... Uh, I would definitely need to add that to the list of movies I wish I'd never actually seen. <laughs> I, I I did stumble across it the other day. It's, it's Paramount Plus, isn't it, that it's on? It was on Shudder. On Shudder? Oh, right, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I saw it then. So, yeah, that is one that uh, I will be giving a watch to. Which Yeah, it's like it's like what I said with Martyrs. It's like I would never actually recommend someone to watch it, but you should probably watch it because technically it's a great film. So it's a recommendation, not an endorsement. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying anything. Um, we've 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 gone off track. I'm sorry. Um, that's good. though. So, you know we are whatever. 
we're learning about how we like to torture our significant others. <laughs> uh, we'll have to talk about smile later. Um, curious what you thought. Uh, anyway, sorry, Sam. Let's get back to you. You're the star here today. Uh, so, what is your favorite? You. What is your favorite franchise? Uh, uh, Romero's uh, Dead movies. Oh yeah. Okay. Now, let's oh, come just up. Just bring it back to that. No, no, that's come up before. Um, you know, I was getting really good at remembering guest names, but I just can't remember off the top of my head who that was. Um, but yeah, um, no, that, that that's come up before, and you know why not? Those films are awesome. Um, I really, I've, I really like um, Night of the Living Dead. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite ones because we did the we did a remake on here, uh, the Tom Savini directed remake. Um, and while while I did that, uh, I was what I watched the original one a couple of times too, and uh, I enjoyed both. Um, but yeah, that that Romero one's so good, and um, so like we were saying, I think maybe even last week, you know, the zombies in in that movie the, were they're a bit of a MacGuffin really because it's all about the people, and I think that's quite a popular theme throughout his films. Yeah, that's right. That really we're the monsters. I think sometimes he overplays that a bit, you know, because, yeah, we're the monsters, but they're eating people. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're the monsters, but I think they're the monsters, actually, as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, when hell's full, the dead will pray or something. Uh, anyway, so let's see. What is the worst horror movie you've seen? Hmm. So I've seen a lot of bad horror movies over the years. Uh, I think I've seen a few with Matthew actually. Um, I think I remember in our uni days we used to we used to revel in the bad movies, though, didn't we? Oh yeah. But but this is the thing. I love a bad movie. A bad horror movie isn't a bad experience. No. Um, so I think the worst the worst horror movie I've seen um, is the third Paranormal Activity. Because number one, it's boring. Um, as, as they all are, so it's a big case of blue balls. They set up this whole, you know, scary situation. It never really pays off. But the third one especially, because it has a really, really cool uh, gimmick, where, I don't know if you've seen it, the camera is mounted on a oscillating fan. So a lot of the movie is just watching this camera pan back and forwards. And it's the perfect opportunity for a jump scare. It's the perfect opportunity to, to frighten the viewer mm-hmm. or to do something weird. And they, they do almost nothing with it. Uh, and I just came away feeling like they had this amazing setup and no payoff at all. You got cock teased. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Demon teased. <laughs> and the third one, is that the prequel one? I think so, yeah. It's set in the, it's like on VHS or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's set in the 80s, yeah. In the 80s, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm probably an apologist for those films. I, I, it's not one of those I don't really like, except maybe the one that had nothing to do with paranormal activity so didn't you say that one was a good film if it just took the label off though yeah it was a good film but it's like having the label on it took away from it um it was quite frustrating but um uh, maybe um, maybe we should do that on here and i can get you to decide whether it's good or not yeah i've only seen the first one and i thought i thought it was okay I, i didn't have strong opinions one way or another on it really 
Uh, I'm a massive found footage guy. I've been pleased to say on um, Prime at the moment that a lot of the found footage movies that were in the documentary found footage movies um, have made their way onto Prime. So um, the last broadcast and the McPherson tape. Um, so for those of you out there that like found footage, get on it because um, those are the sort of building bricks of found footage. Not necessarily great movies, but certainly worth a look. Have uh, you uh, have you seen the Poughkeepsie tapes? I have seen Poughkeepsie tapes, yeah. That was that was in that category of recommendation without endorsement, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I felt so dirty after watching that film. I had to take a shower. It was hot, just horrible. Yeah. To me that to me that movie falls into the category of it's just too over the top to be taken seriously. Um, yeah. And I think, I think the main thing that works for that is because it's the documentary part of it is set out so well that it does come across as quite realistic, but yeah. Yeah. There are, there are movies, there are certain movies on my list that I've seen and I wouldn't necessarily recommend to people. And yeah, that's definitely on the list. Um, but you know, Watch it. <laughs> uh, right, so let's move on to what is your favourite horror movie? Mm. Uh, it's quite a recent one. Mm. Um, uh, Possessor, directed by uh, Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, came out in 2020. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like a science fiction, body horror, psychological horror. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's incredible. Great practical effects. Uh, it's violent. It's unsettling. Uh, it's unique. Uh, it's disturbing. I, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I must admit, I haven't seen it. Um, I yeah, it was I very sad that. that even in the year of the pandemic, it, it passed out without getting a release. Like when nothing was coming out, they still managed to just slip it under without any sort of fanfare, which. Yeah criminal really yeah i think so i think it was really let down have you seen it then matthew uh no <laughs> but uh you it, know it's it. one that i was made aware of straight away and then as as always just been on the list ready to watch it and i've i've to my shame not gotten around to it okay well i'll have to add that to my wish list so we need, we need to do an episode about it so it forces me into it Possessor, add to which watch list? Strong recommend. Strong recommend from me. Well, I can, uh, you know, it's your favourite film, so I will, I will bump up my list. I don't have too many to watch actually at the moment. Um, so, to be quite honest with you, I need to take a break after that movie today. <laughs> <laughs> like this movie's made me depressed. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh well, there you go. Then that's the that's that's the end of the questions, which leads us into the movie, which this week is Matthew's bit. So I will hand over the reins. Okay then. So yeah, we are talking about 1997's Event Horizon. So it's uh, a film that is directed by Paul W S Anderson, one of his earlier films uh, before he got all that sweet sweet Resident Evil money. And just for a bit of a spoiler, I think it's the only one of his films that isn't completely awful, as far as I can tell. 
Uh, What about Mortal Kombat? I I hate that Mortal Kombat film. It does not deserve the revisionism that it's got. Uh, So actually, I'm going to say just the... uh, before we, we go into the, the, the plot, the, the opening credits for this, like he really tried to get that Mortal Kombat music again, didn't he? he was... Oh yeah, uh, it was uh, composed by Michael Kamen, who did the uh, the music for Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. It's got that, because I mean that. Okay, I've I think said was... that Mortal Kombat film's bad, but that music is a, is a banger. You know, it's yeah, it stood yeah. the test of time, and you know he went for it again, missed completely, but he went for it again, and. Uh... I'll give him that. Uh, the film was written by Philip Eisner, and for our cast, uh, it's pretty star-studded. It's got Lawrence Fishburne as Miller, Sam Neill as Weir, Kathleen Quinlan as Peters, Jolie Richardson as Stark, Richard T. Jones as Cooper, Jack Noseworthy as Justin, Jason Isaacs as DJ, and Sean Pertwee as Smith, or Smitty. And I just want to just give a little shout out to Sean Pertwee as well, because he's one of the great character actors. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything where he's just not been like engaging and great. And this especially, I absolutely loved him in this. Yeah. hundred uh, uh, percent. I got quite into Gotham. So I was watching it going, Oh, well, Alfred. He was in uh, the invitation came out just recently. And, uh, yeah, he's he's just like this real piece of shit guy in that. And it's yeah, he's great. I love him. I love him. Uh, so the film was budgeted at sixty million, uh, but only grossed twenty six point six bloody blah million. So it, massive, massive loss. And it got slated by critics as well. And it's well, we'll get to that bit at the end. But does it deserve revisionism? Is uh, I guess the question that's going to be looming over this. Uh, so it opens up to just a, to a blank screen with some text and says 2015, the first permanent colony established on the moon. So suck it, you got that well wrong. Uh, 2032, commercial mining begins on Mars. Got some time, 10 years. Uh, 2040, the deep space research vessel Event Horizon is launched to explore the boundaries of the solar system. She disappears without a trace beyond the eighth planet Neptune. It is the worst space disaster on record. And then 2047, now. So uh, first shot we see is a ship, and it's against a planet. And then inside, the uh, the items, uh, things like watches and bottles just floating about. And you can see that it is that mid-90s uh, you know, CGI of things. It looks a bit, bit dodgy. Uh, but not, not terrible. I mean, you can sort of see what everything is and see exactly what they're trying to do with it. Uh, and then we just see a man who's screaming while floating. Uh, but it's just a dream. And then we get to Sam Neill, and he he's just waking up from that, that nasty dream. And uh, he's got a few pictures of a, a lady next to him who he says is Claire. A shrine, um, you one might say. <laughs> it is Co- a shrine. A couple of pictures, all right, you know. But I suppose ne- next to the bed, there's a couple of pictures. It helps us assume that she's dead. Yeah. He, he takes one of the pictures off the wall and he, then he goes to put it on his shrine and he puts it two photos away from an identical picture. <laughs> so the, the production designer, you know, he should have taken maybe one more. 
And yeah, it, it pans away and then he's on a ship and which is orbiting well, what looks like Earth. Uh, and apparently this used up like most of the effects budget for the whole film. I think it something like a third at the very least. Like they spent a lot of money on this shot. It is a beautiful sequence, isn't it? Yeah, I do like how it's all floaty and spinny and it's it's sort of in you know like this big industrial facility, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's quite believable mm. though. Yeah, I, I, I looks... could imagine that yeah, you would set up sort of these interlocking corridors and like a big grid up in space. Uh, but he gets a message and he's told to go to the Lewis and Clark. And we find out it's a search and rescue ship with a top secret mission. And the uh, the crew on there and they are heading towards Neptune. And so they're getting in these say, grav tanks, that are sort of essentially you know, stasis tanks for suspended animation. And so they, they all hop in them and Sam Neill wakes up. And there was a part before that that I really loved. Um, well, I didn't really love, but it made me realise there's, there's something about films like this that I love, which is pointless scientific jargon, where they they inject him with something before they go it goes in, and it's a whole spiel about why he's been injected with something. And I was like, mm, I like pointless. It's it's fun to come up with something that doesn't mean anything, and yet here we go. That that's. Yeah, that sort of thing that just feels like it's there to try and add some realism. Yeah. Despite doing the complete opposite. Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of that, I feel, in this film where there's a lot of explanation and you go, hmm, sounds legit. Yeah, there's a bit later, especially, that's like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they get in these these stasis tanks and uh, but Sam Neill wakes up and he's all alone and he gets out of his tank because uh, he hears a voice and he goes to investigate and uh, there's a woman who's in the cockpit. She says that Billy, I'm so cold, and it's Claire. Uh, but she turns around and she's got spooky eyes. She's got, she got no eyes, isn't it? The, the, well, the spookiest of all. Spookiest yeah. of eyes. Uh, and then Samuel wakes up, but it's for real this time. And yeah, the crew roll up from from stasis, and so they're all joshing around, they're having a bit of flirting. Uh, but Lawrence Fishburne appears there, and he uh, he sets them all straight, gets a bit of a hard ass on them. And uh, so that it's very similar to that 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 setup in Alien, isn't it? With yeah, was... so we're getting to meet meet the crew, uh, giving them that that you know worker attitude and yeah, just oh. men and women about business just happens to be in space. Do you notice their hair hasn't grown? They're supposed to have been uh, sitting in a tank of water for what about three months or something. Their hair's mm. the same. Would your hair grow if you were put into that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not real. I don't know how it works. Maybe that's what they should have done instead of uh, injecting and just got out and explained why the hair's not grown. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird one, that. Yeah. Because normally when you think of stasis, you think of it like being a sort of stop in time, whereas with with that, it's like, like you're in here, you'll be asleep. It's a weird one. Also, doesn't really matter, does it? (laughs) But, Do you notice uh, the smoking on the ship? I didn't notice that. No, a couple of characters are smoking fags just in in the in the spaceship. Nice. I'm sure I mean, there's a safety issue there. Yeah, it's not. It kind of has to be airtight, doesn't it? That smoke sticking around. Yeah. 
Unless they've got, yellow. they can just get it onto the airlock. Yeah, just crack the airlock open a little bit and smoke out the back. Maybe vaping in 24-7 looks so good that it's like roll-ups. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Instead of setting up a mining colony in 2015 on the moon, we, we just got really good at vaping. Uh, uh, that is the yeah. future. While they are uh, say, relaxing after getting to work and they're in Neptune's orbit, uh, Lawrence Fishburne introduces Sam Neill to the rest of the crew who say because they're say the crew, they, they all, well, they kind of already know each other. They do a bit of a exposition just introducing them uh, to us. Uh, Sam Neill tells the crew that they uh, intercepted a transmission from the event horizon, which didn't that disappear? It turns out that it was a ship. Uh, it was a project to create a faster than light travel. And this is the, uh, the sciencey bit that I say sounds plausible. I'll give it to them. And it says it creates dimensional gateways that it can jump through space. And they, they call it the gravity drive. And the previous crew tried it and the ship disappeared. But now it's back. And so the crew are on their way to find out so why it's back and, and how it's back. They play the transmission for them and it's basically all screaming. Uh, apart from one sound, which sounds like Latin uh, of a bloke saying, save me. Yeah, this is, this is the horror movie moment where you go, well, no, I'm all right. I won't bother. But also, should, they should have played that for them at Earth rather than by the time they got to Neptune. It's well, like... apparently no one, no one on Earth could figure out that it was Latin. Yeah, took, that's uh, true. Was it, that's was true. it Jason Isaacs? It was Jason Isaacs, yeah. Yeah, the, the one character goes, oh, yeah, there's a bit, bit of Latin in there. Oh, really? Oh, no, no, we didn't hear that. Well, and you designed this uh, thing, did you? This uh, dimensional engine. Yeah, yeah, did you? I mean, my question to them is that if they did know this on Earth, like, would they still have a choice? You know, they got a job to do, haven't they? So we find that one of the characters was supposed to be spending time with the kid, but was was dragged away from it. So maybe, yeah. maybe they were they were strong armed. It just feels like it's such a. I don't know if it is a horror movie trope, but it's a moment in a horror movie where you where you go now. <laughs> You're fine. I, I don't think I'll bother actually. Yeah, I'd, I'd take a court martial <laughs> over this probably. Yeah, no, no, that they're screaming for their lives there. Yeah, but it's probably all right. Well, we'll leave it. There's a few moments in this where they should probably just leave it. <laughs> well, just leave it. Uh, fortunately for us watching at home, uh, the crew are dumbasses. And <laughs> so they, they carry on moving on to the ship and. Uh, so in the orbit of the event horizon, they hit big turbulence, but they, they do eventually get there. And then Fishburne instructs uh, Smithy to say, do a flyby and land on the event horizon, which being the boss that Sean Pertwee is, he does that no problem. And so they, uh, they scan the ship and you know, it appears in reasonable nick, but it's ice cold and there's some life form scan, but they don't really know what they are. So uh, Lawrence Fishburne just tells them, you know, you've got to uh, get onto the ship, search it room by room, and that's what we're going to go do. And Sam Neill wants to go with them, but Fishburne tells him, no, you know, your job's on the ship. Uh, so it's just going to be Fishburne, and he's taking Justin and Peters. 
And then uh, once they got on the ship, he sends Justin to take the rear and he's going to go to the front of the ship where the crew are, are normally on, on board and they're going to search it from there. When they get on there, there's a, a big corridor which separates the rear of the ship from the front, basically saying, you know, if there's any problems, the corridor is laced with explosives. They blow it up, splits the two halves, people are saved. So the uh, crew that goes to the front, they find the old ship log on a CD uh, because, you know, you'd still have CDs in 2047. And then, boom, spooky corpse. Yep, go home. Yep, that, yep that's yeah. another red flag right there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, let's just go. Let's take a couple of pictures back on the ship. Bye. Yeah. Oh. Yep. And then to Justin on the rear, he gets to walk through a cool tunnel that's spinning like a meat grinder. It's more uh, like a cheese grater. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. It's like, like, a- uh, like one of those... Uh, wreckage machines where you see like barrels being put in and then these teeth just like gar- you know, gargle them up and crunch. And... It's a health and safety nightmare. Yeah, app- apparently it was designed like that specifically uh, and the whole drive that we'll, we'll get to in a second all designed uh, as homage to the uh, puzzle box from uh, Hellraiser. And as we will get to uh, very soon, it's not the only thing that they like to borrow from Hellraiser. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so once he, he goes through the corridor, he finds a gravity core. Uh, but then his uh, feed to the uh, Lewis and Clark gets cut out. And then there is a big bright light in front of him and the center of the drive becomes a liquid. And Justin, again, like a stupid fool, goes over and touches it and it gets sucked in. Oh, it's all squishy. Yeah. And the uh, the rope that he was tied to gets dragged in as well, pulls forward the loose and Clark and it breaches the hole and he's, oh, there's a lot of damage done there. Uh, so Cooper uh, say, f- follows the rope to Justin, but he say, drifts out. Uh, I'm sorry, Justin drifts out of the drive and he's, uh, he's looking in a, a pretty rough shape there. And the whole issue that's being created means that all of the crew have to, uh, to get off the Lewis and Clark because there's not any air in it and have to move on to the event horizon. So it's, it's already going wrong. Um, right, so yeah, most of the uh, event horizon systems are online, but there's only enough air for about 20 hours and then it all becomes carbon dioxide and it will kill everyone. And you see, Lewis and Clark can be repaired, but it'll take a bit of time. And it's also at this point as well that we see that Event Horizon is just just covered in blood and other assorted viscera. It's disgusting. So it's a mess. Yeah. Go home. Oh, they can't now. (laughs) Yeah. Now now we'll we'll kind of forgive them any more bad decisions (laughs) in that it's they've kind of been forced into it. But you should have never got yourself into this situation, Lawrence Fishburne. And Justin is in rough shape. And say Cooper's got him, and he's saying that look, when I got there, the drive was open. But Sam Neill's basically telling that nah, it's not possible, the drive wasn't on. And we also find out that it's an artificial black hole. And say if a person is sucked into it, they could go anywhere. 
but it's safe because it's held by some magnetic fields. Cooper's uh, Cooper's got a great line here where Sam Neill starts explaining the science and he goes, don't start that physics shit. <laughs> don't yeah. start telling me about those immutable laws of the universe. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, there was a, another line uh, earlier when the, it, describing the, the drive and how it works. And he said, you know, tell us in layman's terms and, and he goes into the, uh, you know, the, the physics of it. And then Lawrence Fishburne just tells layman's terms. I thought, <laughs> it's like, yeah, really have to emphasize what a layman is to some people. And then he destroys a porno. He does, yeah. Sticks a pen right through that, that poor woman on the sheet of paper's head. What a bastard. Oh, uh, right, so... Yeah, after uh, so they, they explain about the uh, the magnets holding a black hole in which, I mean, I'm not a physicist, but that does sound suspect to me. Uh, we uh, we cut to Peters and she's on a medical deck and she's just on there by herself. And she hears a couple of noises and she just she goes over uh, to investigate. And it, I don't know what this thing is, but it's like a tent covering a box. Um, she pulls a tent away and there's a kid just sat there and he's just got manky stuff all over his legs. Ew. Um, yeah. That, that's uh, supposed to be her son though, I think. Yeah, we, we say we find that out just after. Oh, um, sorry. It's okay, I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, DJ runs down and said nothing, nothing's there. And um, look, they are. So watching the event horizons log after after this, and they it's a, just a video of them turning on the gravity drive, and then they say so the feed gets all messy and they can't really see what happens. And at this point, the gravity drive becomes a drain on power, and Justin starts convulsing and he says that the dark is coming. Uh, Sam Neil investigating the so the, the power drainage and the issues that are happening is, is in some kind of vent or duct. Uh, it's, I, I think it's a, a really interesting design, actually, because it's covered in, like, circuit boards, which so you don't really see too often on, like, surrounding completely, you know, floor and ceiling of, of these corridors. It's lovely set design. Yeah, you, you normally see them in sort of, you know, dank spheres, whereas this one's kind of like, I'd say it's like the most futuristic looking thing in the whole film. It's the Matrix. Contrast. Yeah, I think it is. It's very different to everything else that we've seen so far. I think it's one of the strengths of the movie. Every environment that they're in, the crew quarters, the corridor, the uh, the chamber and the, the vents. Oh, and, and the Lewis and Clark. You can tell just at a glance where they are because each one has very different set design. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, very that's good point. True, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, while while Sam Neil is in this uh, vent area, uh, we uh, hear some more noises and the lights start going funny, and then Spooky Eyes Claire appears again and says, "Be with me forever." Which I mean, you know, doesn't sound that appealing an offer with big spooky eyes. Uh, then, yeah, Lawrence Fishburne is seen, you know, around the drive as well, 
and so there is a pool of water at the bottom of it and then out of it a flaming body comes out of the pool and it just looks at Fishburne before it cuts away and then cuts to to the rest of the crew shortly after and they gathered discussing what they're all seeing and they're all saying you know I saw a body I saw this kid and Sam Neill is very very rude to them and just dismisses them all saying it's not possible you're all seeing shit and it's your own fault and then the hero that is Smitty just absolutely goes for him uh, but is restrained by DJ who like he's sort of calming the situation down but also escalating it massively by holding a scalpel to his neck and guns for show nice for a pro <laughs> he's yeah, it's, it's just a nice way to calm the situation down. Just, you know, get very close to murdering someone. Uh, but it, it does calm the situation down. And Smitty's sent outside to fix the Lewis and Clark. Uh, while Stark puts forward the uh, theory that the visions are, are actually the ship defending itself, which is yeah, kind of spooky, this big spaceships gain some sort of sentience and is, well, defending itself. I'd, I'd hate to feel how my car thought about me. <laughs> and, yeah, so the next Peters is again on the medical deck and so she hears some banging this time and then a big explosion of the lights above her and sends her running off. And she gets to the uh, the main deck again uh, but the banging just continues up there. Uh, we find out that it's Justin and he's in the airlock without a suit. And he's override, overridden the uh, the systems, so they, they can't get him out. And he turns to the crew and he asks them if they've heard it. And the dark that's inside him is showing him horrible things. And they won't go back. And if you'd seen what he'd seen then they wouldn't try to stop him. Uh, so he activates the airlock door. There's a real uh, interface issue here, which is that there's there's two buttons on a touchpad. One says open inside door, and one says open outside door. And they're about like five centimetres away from each other. It seems like an accident waiting to happen, really. Yeah, that's like when you're on a keyboard and you, you try to type add and then write ass constantly. Except typing ass launches you into outer space. Well, there's a joke in there somewhere, isn't there? I'm trying to find it. Uh, yeah, something about asses launching to outer space. Mm. Hilarious. Yeah. You've farts. done it. Fart. <laughs> Bums, that's funny. Yeah, brilliant. Well done. Uh, but yeah, it's at this point that Justin uh, wakes up from this uh this dark and he, he tweaks what's happening and doesn't like it much uh so yeah this is about to suck out and the all the pressure's going and he's experiencing the vacuum of space his eyes start bleeding and yeah he does get sucked out but there's a lot of eye trauma in this movie sorry there's a lot of eye trauma in this there movie. is yeah they, yeah there they, is they, for they, sure they really go through i guess it falls under that thing we were speaking about earlier it's it's more relatable you know we've all got eyes we, well we've all we've all you know except for claire our eye. <laughs> except for claire even though she has eyes because they're spooky hmm. ah spooky eyes 
it's while uh, so they, they were rushing to try and get Justin out of the, the airlock, Lawrence Fishburne, who was on the outside of the ship, is proactive and he gets himself to the outside of the airlock so that when he opens, he dives in, catches Justin and grabs him back inside like a real hero. You know, a real Morpheus move. And But yeah, they do get Justin in, but he's in a very bad way because his eyes pretty much exploded and the rest of his body just, well, on to experienced the vacuum of space. Uh, but they, they managed to stabilize him and, and they put him into one of those stasis pods. Yeah, at this point, Fishburne basically says, right, you're here. Go find out what happened to the last crew. And as part of his part of that, he say, follows uh, Sam Neill, grabs him, and he say, demands answers. And Sam Neill basically can't explain and just, just walks off. That's when uh, Lawrence Fishburne hears a voice saying, don't leave me. And when he's sitting with uh, DJ in the next scene, uh, he tells him what it's about. And he says, you know, there was a, the voice was an old soldier. He got caught in a fire on a previous mission. And say so he, he, we couldn't be saved. We had to, you know, close the door on him and say, just let him die and burn to death. Yeah. One of my, I, I think that's probably my favorite scene. I, I like him explaining what fire's like in no gravity and, Stuff like that. The thing that really frustrated me about this scene, and I had to, I later on realized that it was a circular room, is that the young lad seemed like he was on the wrong side of the chamber that they'd left him in. And I was looking at it going, He's the, he was definitely on the other side, but it was a circular room and they were on the other side of the room. Um, but it was really annoying me. Justin, there you go. He, he seemed like he was on the wrong side of the room, chamber-wise, but like I say, it's a circular room, so they were just on the other side of the room. I was going to say, it's not something I noticed, so I'm... I'm... <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I, you're either more observant than me. <laughs> yeah, or not paying attention to what I should yeah. have been. <laughs> Why is he there? <laughs> but yeah, that, that bit about the uh, say the fire being beautiful in zero gravity, I thought that, yeah, like you say, it was, it was a nice bit. And also... So we get to to learn a little bit more about Lawrence Fishburne's character as well. We could say, I would say turns the out, film. Sorry, sorry go on, Sam. Uh, um, I was just going to say it turns out they've got a crew uh, who is almost exclusively made up of people with severe trauma. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Except cool. for Cooper, I think. Yeah, Cooper's pretty jolly throughout all this, isn't he? He's he's a, a oasis of calm in a sea of mayhem. Yeah, I was going to say, it's one of the few character moments in the film. Uh, I think I'm, I spend a lot of my time watching this, comparing it to Alien. I think we get a much better idea of who the crew are in that uh, compared to this. I thought that this scene was very good in redressing that balance. Right, yeah. You know, we get to learn a bit more about these guys. We get to root for them a bit more. And, you know, and we we understand, you know, the the being tortured so far, and we know why the torture is. It's more effective because we know that these guys are suffering for it. And yeah, just very nice little scene. You know, in a very quietly nice, I would say. Quietly nice. Yeah. And then it gets a whole lot worse because DJ says he's listened to the distress signal again. 
and he's realized that the Latin was actually saying save yourself. And then he said, Oh, there's a little bit extra as well. He says, save yourself from hell. <laughs> and he believes that that's exactly where the ship's been. Uh, I was like watching that going, going, fair enough. You mixed up the words, you know, all right, save yourself, save us, save yourself. Hang on, how did you miss from hell as well? Where did, you, where did those extra two words come from? You twat. Sorry. Yeah, Jason Isaacs. How did he miss those extra two words? Unless he's been uh, listening to it over and over again. But I mean, he's still done better than any other human being on Earth, apparently. So, yeah, let's not be too harsh on him. Uh, yeah, sorry. I apologize. I apologize to everybody involved. But uh, we get some good news now. The the clock is ready to be repressurized and they can set off. Oh, oh no, it's not quite ready. Uh, There's a few gases escaping. They're going to need about 20 minutes to fix it. Uh, so what they're going to do with that 20 minutes, they're going to rewatch the captain's log, which they've, uh, they've managed to clean up and fix. And it's actually showing some really horrific scenes. Uh, so the cuts are a little bit quick, so we don't get to, uh, to really settle on the gore, apart from the old captain who's just holding his eyes. Well, I assume that his eyes could, could be anyone. More eye eyes. trauma. But more eye trauma. Really love going for it. Uh, and this is when Fishburne says, uh-uh, we are leaving. But say, Sam Neill argues with him, say, basically saying, you know, still got a mission to do. Uh, but yeah, Morpheus is having none of it, puts his foot down, and he says, look, we're going to destroy the ship. And Sam Neill says, you know, it won't let you destroy it. Uh, you know, he, he loves the ship. And he sneaks off into the darkness and saying that it's his home. And um, it says again that the uh, event horizon is basically having the power drained again from its core. So, yeah, to get ready for the Lewis and Clark, Petus is in the core and she's uh, grabbing some uh, some of these rods, uh, which is basically just equipment from the core to uh, use in the Lewis and Clark. And just, just as she grabs them and she's about to leave, the core shows her visions of her son again. And she turns around and goes back into uh, the following. And she follows him. She goes up some ladders, and eventually she sees him at the other side of a a gap that she doesn't spot. And he's eh, still at the other side of it, giving a little smirk. And she uh, goes towards him, and then falls down an enormous hole and smashes on the floor. Oh no! You fell down a hole. Now, this one I thought was really impactful. You really felt her landing on that that grate on the floor. It's sore in it. I thought it was also it's kind of subtle as well. You know, it wasn't like she, you know, she didn't go splat. She didn't break loads of bones and stuff. You just sort of felt this thud, sort of grim thud with, like, you know, a bit of blood splattering about, but nothing too over the top. So, uh, yeah, really, really cool death. I I enjoyed this one. Uh, and then yeah, Sam Neil finds her, and uh, he hears Claire again. And then he gets a vision of her and he sees that she's putting makeup on, cuts to her running a bath, cuts to her then cutting her wrists and then cuts in a bath full of blood. So yeah, we understand a bit more why, why he's got that shrine. And then yeah, Sam Neil collapses and basically says, oh, I've, I've been so alone. And then 
Claire says, you know, you're not, you're not alone anymore. And she has wonderful things to show him, which again is another Hellraiser bit. And when she says him, she sticks thumbs in his eyes. Ouch. So now, now he's spooky eyes, Sam Neill. Painful. Yeah. <laughs> Recapping it really does highlight just how much eye stuff is in this film. If you don't it's, like it's eyes, like, yeah. stay away. Or, or if you don't like eyes, watch it because you're going to see a lot of them getting smashed up. Yeah, if you yeah. hate eyes. Yeah, if you really despise yeah. vision and all of it. So you're a deranged optometrist. <laughs> Yeah, if you've got a real, you got a real corporate beef with spec servers. So, uh, right. So yes, we see Smitty, good old Smitty, and he's uh, talking to Cooper on the outside. He says that the ship's fixed, and then Smitty is uh, in the at the bridge, and he just catches a look at Sam Neill, and he's he's walking away back to the event horizon, and he uh, does a little disappearing act. And then he, so he gets on his video call that he was just talking to Cooper on and he grabs Lawrence Fishburne who says, look, there's an explosion, explosive missing from the Event Horizon corridor. Chances are he's put it on the Lewis and Clark. And so Smitty goes on a bit of a hunt for it and he finds it in his own, uh, well, it's sort of like a cloakroom, isn't it? And he finds it on his own hook, essentially. And a looks at the uh, the time on it and there's only five seconds left on it and it blows up uh, Cooper on the outside is blown out into space and Smitty is just easing smithereens isn't it? Smitty reens <laughs> Smitty reens so just, just while we're on the uh, the, the cloakroom bit the uh, the suits that they're all wearing all have uh, flags on the sleeve and Sam Neill uh, on his was uh, meant to be playing an Australian and he, he said that by 2047 that they, they would have a different flag where the Union Jack in the corner of the Australian flag is replaced by the First Nations Australian flag, which I thought was a, a nice touch. I, uh, I read on IMDb trivia that um, uh, the British astronauts had EU flags on their arms. Yeah, they really hit that mid-century 2010s very badly historically, didn't they? Yeah, so. we're not on the moon. And we are not in the EU. Also, when I did notice uh, as well that there, there are a lot more stars on the EU flag than uh, than there are. So I, I'm, I'm wondering who else is uh, is getting in. Oh, who made the cut? Well, I'm, I'm looking at at the uh, the badge that they chose. Pretty much every country in Europe, by the looks of it. God bless. So you know, well done, Liechtenstein. You're in. <laughs> you finally made it, guys. Big time. So, uh, yeah, next uh, we get uh, Cooper, the, the oasis of calm that he is. And just while he's out drifting into space after his ship's been blown up, uh, he's like, oh, how am I going to get back to the, uh, the ship? I'll blow my air tank, which he does. And he, uh, he sets off moving back towards the event horizon. The thing I like about Cooper is he's, he is the comedy relief for this film, but he's also competent at whatever he does, um, which I can appreciate. Yeah. It's like he's got this. He, he does these, well, this bit specifically, that you could really only describe as yeah. plot armor. But he doesn't really affect the plot in any way. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, oh, we just need 
we need someone to have an all right time of it in this film. We just we'll pick this this guy because he's, he's he's a nice jolly fella. We need more of that in our horror films. Just one 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 person who's yeah. unaffected by the events. But uh, one person that is affected by the events is Lawrence Fishburne, and he's uh, he's telling DJ what happened. He says, "Look, if you see Sam Neil, take him out." And DJ agrees. He's like, "Yep," grabs a saw. Uh, but Neil's there, and he's got no eyes. Uh, grabs DJ by the neck and just throws him around the room a bit, and chucks him on an examiner's table, and then starts cutting. And uh, so then next we see Lawrence Fishburne comes into the same room, and he finds that DJ's been strung up. He's got all his guts out. And he's hung up by these hooks and chains, and again, very yes. very Hellraiser. Uh, so yeah, Fishburne grabs himself a, a space nail gun that they were they were using to uh, fix the hull of the Lewis and Clark before, and he goes hunting, and yeah, he finds finds Stark, and she's on the floor. Like I say we've not seen her for a while, and Sam Neil uh, turns around again, and again we see that his eyes are fucked, and he tells Lawrence Fishburne that, you know, the ship moved to a dimension of pure chaos in evil, and it came back alive. And he's going to go open that gate again, and he's going to go back there. And see, he's got a a space gun in his his own now. He's uh, aiming it at Lawrence Fishburne. And at this point, Cooper, hero that he is, lands back at the window uh, with a bang, and then Neil turns and uh, shoots him through the glass. Uh, we'd say it doesn't get Cooper, and then the glass just blows open, saying that vacuum of space does its thing, and it sucks everything and everyone out, uh, except Lawrence Fishburne, who's able to, uh, to grab a cable, and Stark, who manages to grab some boxes, and so they, they fight their way th- through the, uh, the vacuum that's sucking everyone out, and Fishburne gets through uh, to the blast doors first. And so just like you were saying about his friend earlier, how he couldn't save them, this time he, he holds the door open. He gets it open just long enough so that he could save Stark. So we get a nice little bit of character redemption for him there. There's a, uh, uh, there's a good bit where um, uh, Sam Neill starts shooting with the nail gun. He goes, oh, what makes you think I'll miss? And then he f- takes about six <laughs> shots and doesn't hit anyone with any of them. Like, what, what makes you think I'll miss? Probably <laughs> the lack of eyes, I would say. Yeah. Poor marksmanship. Like, yeah, so it's a very important part See. of, you know, acknowledging what a target is. But, yeah, well, uh, so they do get Coop, uh, Stark and uh, Fishburne in. Sam Neill's been sucked out into the back of oh, space. Everything's happy. Uh, but, oh, no, they see something at the other side of the corridor. Ah, but it's just our good friend Cooper. With his plot armour. Yeah, in his in his bizarre plot armour that doesn't need to be there. Uh, the problem that they do have, though, is that the drive is still set to uh, to travel to the other dimension. So what they're going to do is use the uh, explosives in the corridor to uh, blow the ship in half. And so they'll stick on the front half, send out a distress signal, and just try and hope that someone will pick them up. Uh so Cooper and uh, Stark go on the way to go and do that. Uh, set up the emergency beacon. 
And so when they do it, they find that blood is filling up on all these vents and the event horizon stasis pods are also full of the stuff and it all bursts and covers them. Uh, mm. Cameo appearance by the uh, shining blood from the elevator. Yeah, very... Uh, See, I, I kind of didn't pick up on that because I was just focusing on all the, uh, the Hellraiser similarities at this point. Uh, but while that's happening, uh, Lawrence Fishburne is at the uh, the other end of the ship and he's prepping bombs for the detonation. And then out of the uh, the pool comes the... Uh, sorry, no, it's not in the pool this time. It's in the corridor still, like I just said. Uh, the flaming man comes uh, out again. And he, uh, he this time he, he full-on shoots fire at him. Uh, it turns into a human flamethrower, and yeah, it forces Lawrence Fishburne to dry to the gravity drive, and to the uh, the flaming man who uh, we learned earlier is called Coric. He shows up again, and this time he turns into Sam Neil, and Neil shows him visions of hell, and it's Sam Neil looking like Pinhead without the pins, pre Pinhead. He, he's kind of like cut up in in uh, yeah, covered in. Yes, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say scabs. It's as but, if he's been. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of wounds on him. <laughs> but he's, he's got, got his, his eyes, eyes back. back yeah, it's like he's been chopped up and reassembled. So it's a happy ending. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I guess you can do what you want. It's a bit like a human Rubik's oh, that's cube it again. A bit Hellraiser, isn't it? That. But yeah, so yeah. Uh, Sam Neil and Lawrence Fishburne have a bit of a scrap. Uh, and so yeah, the the, uh, the gateway begins to open, uh, but Fishburne's able to grab a detonator and he uh, he blows the back of the ship up, uh, saving Stark and Cooper at the front, and yes, sucking the event horizon into a black hole. Which I, I kind of assumed at this point then that he they it took them to to this hell dimension and, and Fishburne was stuck in there. So I, I don't think that it's like you know. Uh, heroic sort of laying his life on the line. I think he's, it's much, much worse for him. Yeah. Condemned to eternal torture. Hmm. Bummer. Yeah. But it's all a simulation, so it doesn't really matter. Very good. That was a, that was a Morpheus joke. <laughs> uh, right, and then it, uh, yeah, it cuts to 72 days later. And a rescue ship finds what's left of the event horizon. And so the Stark, Cooper, and Justin in their, their stasis pods. And they release them. And so the guy pulls Stark up and he tells her, look, yo, you're safe now. <gasps> what? And he takes off his helmet. And it's uh, Sam Neill. But it's not, it's not really. It's just a dream and they're actually mm-hmm. safe. And uh, yeah, that's the, uh, the end of the film. That is event horizon. So uh, yeah, just before we get into uh, to our thoughts on it, uh, I'll just get the uh, the internet's thoughts. And again, I said earlier whether this film deserves a uh, a reappraisal. And looking at it, Rotten Tomatoes critic scores gave it thirty one percent, very very low. Uh, but the audience scores sixty one. I'll say you know with with films of this time you kind of do get that as a reappraisal, you know, because the, the reviews say, are much older than the, uh, 
that the people that are, are leaving them now. Uh, it's also got a letterbox score of 3.3. So, it, you know, I think it's looked at pretty yeah. positively now. Uh, well, but do, do you want to jump straight into uh, well, the, the, the thoughts or do you want to, I want to say something about I guess about drop it some first? knowledge um, before. Well, I've learned, I've learned this knowledge basically, and it's it's brought my opinion up of the film slightly. So originally what happened was it wasn't slated to be released when it was, because um, it was released the same year as Titanic. Um, but Titanic was supposed to take the summer spot, and uh, this film was supposed to be in the winter. But because they had to push Titanic to the winter, they brought this movie forward. And they actually had to make this film from green light to cinema in 10 months, which um, I thought considering that they made all the sets and uh, you know, all that stuff really, you know, and apparently um, Paul Anderson edited the whole thing in six weeks. You know, so um, I thought, because I mean, I don't know a lot about movies, but I know that 10 months isn't a long time from greenlit um, to casting to <laughs> building. <laughs> That's, yeah. No, but, especially um, a film of this. I thought it was quite impressive. And well. I think in a way it didn't serve to help the film a bit. And also that the original cut for this movie was 136 minutes. But Paramount, I think it was Paramount, made them cut it down to... I think it's 92, isn't it, or something like that? Oh, 96, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Uh, something like that, yeah. It is so, more uh, or less... The interesting... I thought one of the other interesting things about it was um, apparently they were going to try and do a DVD release of it completely uncut. Um, but they'd, like, lost nearly all that extra footage. So, yeah. I don't... Uh, I might as well go into my review since I'm talking about it. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this movie. I think it looks fantastic. The sets are amazing. The CGI hasn't aged well. But again, I think that was partly like budgetary. They couldn't afford to get ILM and, you know, I think DreamWorks or whoever was doing those things at the time. So it has aged particularly well. Um, but I also think it's like, I mean, this is my opinion is it just feels like it, it's always trying to get somewhere and never quite gets there. And so while I think it does look fantastic and it is acted brilliantly, it just doesn't, um, it doesn't quite make it into creative psychopath for me. So, um, I'm going for, Ooh, it's spooky. Uh, Yeah. So uh, whoever wants to go next, go. On. I'll I'll let Sam go next, and then we'll have a, a little bit of a sandwich within a sandwich. Okay, I like that. Um, so when I first heard of this movie, um, when it first came out, my dad said he had just been to the cinema and seen the worst uh, movie ever, which was Event Horizon. And he said it was ridiculous. He said it was trashy and the effects were bad and i mean he's right you know it, it is it is kind of trashy and it is kind of ridiculous but it's 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 got a lot of charm to it and um 
I think, yeah, the, the VFX are not so great, but the, the practical effects and the miniature work, especially, when, on, there's a couple of times where there's sort of uh, things exploding. There's great miniature work with the explosions. I thought, I thought it was really good. I thought it was, it, was, uh, it was cracking work. It does, I think you can tell that it was made quickly. And uh, there were some decisions that I think were a bit questionable. But overall, you know what? I think, I think critics were unfair to it. So give, give me a quick rundown of the, of the ratings. We've got... So we've got a, a shit for a bad film and ooh, that's spooky for a, well, I'd say, you know, sort of the middle of the three and then a creative psychopath for, for a, a very good film. Hmm. Well, it's, it's not a creative psychopath. It's creative, but I, I, it's, a, it's, a, ooh, it's spooky. It's not shit. It was unfair to call it shit. It's, it's spooky. So, yeah, I was, my thoughts probably come around to what you were saying earlier uh, about that there was this, this like two hour and change cut of it. Because I think there is a cut of this film that is an improvement on, on what we've seen, uh, sort of that would both flesh out and also trim some of the film a little bit. Uh, and I, I kind of understand what you're saying as well about the, it's kind of building to something that, that never really comes. It's all of the stuff that happens. It's, I'd say it kind of, it works on the page, but doesn't really translate too well. So you, you're thinking like, Oh, and it ends with this big explosion in the ship and stuff, but it, you don't really feel that weight of it. Uh, but at the same time, I think the more the film went on, the more I did enjoy it. You know, I did enjoy how you know, it went to this ridiculous premise of a ship going to hell and coming back alive as a hell ship. And, you know, it, it got just wacky and the visuals were great and the, the torture stuff and, you know, by the end of it, it was Alien meets Hellraiser, and you know what's what's not to love there. And yeah, I, I had a I had a really good time with it, and I'm I'm teetering. I, I'm I'm not sure whether to put it between. It, it's it's like right in between that spooky and creative psychopath for me. Uh, and seeing as you two have already said, "Ooh, that's spooky," I'll, I'll say Ooh, creative psychopath just to. Just to give it a give it a little bit more love. I know I'm outvoted, so I'm uh, I'm just going to say that just for to know it's ultimately futile. Oh, I don't think you know everybody's opinion is totally valid. No, I mean maybe <laughs> maybe I need to rethink the you it's speaky because I'm not saying don't. I wouldn't. That's not a don't watch it that review. That's a sort of a suck it and see review more than it is anything else. You know, like no, I. I... I often find myself watching those sort of, you know, sort of like that three-star movie, and, you know, watching them of an evening because they they are enjoyable. You know, uh, so they're not challenging. They might not stick with you, but they they are they are enjoyable in the moment. Uh, personally, I think this is this is a bit better than that, uh, but it's certainly not going to. It's no. not going to leave you with less than that, I would say, now. Yeah, well, there's a reason. There is a reason that it's become a bit of a cult classic. So, you know, sweet. All right. 
Um, let's see. Did, did anyone do a Facebook? <laughs> let's have a look, shall we? You're on it. I was going to, but then I uh, it occurred to me that I uh, I'm on it. Yeah, I I often find myself doing that every time there's a post coming up, just thinking, can I uh, can I say anything about it? But uh, yeah, I, I always I always chicken out. Uh, we do have a comment though. It's from Brian, and he said that uh, he appreciates the film, but he doesn't think it's particularly great. Uh, the effects are fantastic and the performances are good, but the plot feels fairly weak and unexplored. However, is this the last big budget horror? Uh, and maybe the first and only. Uh, I say certainly the first part of that that comment is pretty much exactly the same as what, what we've said here, isn't it? Uh, big budget horror. I'm struggling to think of any seriously big budget. Because uh, the thing yeah. about horror is that it's, I mean, it's kind of always made on the yeah. cheap, isn't it? I would say they they ploughed quite a lot of money into the two it films, didn't they? So <laughs> they, they knew they were going to be hits, and I think they spent accordingly. Yeah. I mean, did, this didn't have a massive budget at sixty million. Um, I mean, it's more money than I've got, but yeah, you think some of the sort of the budgets that you hear splashed about now that sort of. 250 million and, and then some. I don't think, although small it's an interesting price, comment about um, whether it would be the last big budget horror, because I think actually that it has, um, has, has opened, opened up to potentially having more big budget horror films. Um, so I think, I think potentially in the future we might see something else. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Part of the problem with Event Horizon really is, is it's a traditional haunted house film, really, but it's set in space. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, good way of looking at it. And as I said, I think I'm going over, I'm going back over myself a bit, really, but I think the effects were, uh, the effects were in that were so good and um, built on, uh, built in Pinewood, I think. I actually know, and they were filming right next door to Eyes Wide Shut. I think any movie that was made in sort of any part of the 1990s was filmed at the same time as Eyes Wide Shut, wasn't it? I like to think of Sam Neill going next door with his with his stupid eye makeup and getting involved in the old Eyes Wide Shut. Give us one of them masks. Ah, uh, thanks. So I reckon Sam Neill would be lovely. I think he'd, he'd be walking over. He'd be giving Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman a bottle of his uh, his own red wine from his vineyard and just yeah. complimenting right. Stanley Kubrick on his beard. Yeah, that he's a lovely fellow, is, Sam Neill. Is it? That is the filling of the of the of the horror sandwich. Well, what filling would you like, the Sam? What are you going to have in your sandwich? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a chip butter sandwich. It must be, surely. From the from, uh, from the, the chip shop? Sandwich Love it. Or? Yeah, bit of ketchup. Beautiful. Peas. Right, yeah, lovely. Uh, right. Oh, lovely chip butty. So let's let's get it sorted out with this last slice of bread. So the questions are, what is a scary moment from a non-horror movie that you remember? Hmm. Uh, okay, there is one, but I'm not sure whether Matt's brother... 
Andrew said exactly this. I feel like I've heard this on the podcast before. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the first act of Mouse Hunt. Yeah. yeah. Where they're in the uh, spooky house. They go up in the attic. Have you seen Mouse Hunt? They go, they go up in the attic and uh, the two brothers uh, uh, are being tormented by a mouse. Um, and it's, it, I mean, I saw it as a kid, but it's genuinely quite scary, I think. It's shot like a horror movie. And uh, Nathan Lane and Lee Evans, they really sell it with the performance. Uh, but no, I don't, nobody, nobody's mentioned that before. Odd bedfellows. I had to change a lot of my answers because when I was listening to uh, to Andrew's episode, he said almost exactly the same things as me. I'll, I'll be sure to chastise him. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you could make a non-horror movie a horror movie, what would you choose? Uh, it's got to be Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> Stick a werewolf in that car. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can guarantee it'll be entertaining. Driving Miss Werewolf. Why? Exactly. Howling Miss Daisy. <laughs> I like it. That, that, that's, there's definitely an idea there. And then, I mean, it's even got sequel potential. The driver can be then become a werewolf. Yeah. And then werewolf, you know, taxi driver. You've done it. You howling at me? <laughs> <laughs> you've done it. You've, you've, let's get that written up. Um, yeah, so uh, let's get that written, sold to Hollywood, and we can make our millions. Uh, well, you can, I suppose. It was your idea. Although I asked, I asked you the question, so... Yeah. It's... Don't forget me. True. I think we can get yeah, at least a story nice. by credit. You can come yeah, back on the show in. later on when you're famous and going, oh, yeah, remember those days? We can review my film. Yeah, we'll review, review, we'll, we'll review it terribly. <laughs> yeah, it's a um, shit. Yeah, definitely. It's a shit. We haven't had many shits, to be fair. There's very few. No, I think people enjoy talking about films they like, and people don't often like shit films. Well, that's, you know, you could bring the frighteners. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, Alistair. Uh, right, yeah, so there you go. That was it. That's it. We've, we've created the sandwich. Um, but obviously, because it's a horror sandwich, um, we're going to have to ruin it. And a chip shop, chip butty... I feel like it would be sacrilege to put mayonnaise on it. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Ooh, chilling. <laughs> I just, like, I would happily have mayonnaise on a chip butty, but not from the chip shop. Mm. Just feels wrong. Feels all kind of wrong. No, I'm not a yeah. mayo guy, so keep, yeah, it keep, away. That, keep that away from me. <laughs> Lovely. I once had some uh, skinny mayo. It was, you know... There's a company called Skinny, whatever it is. Um, like skinny food. The mayonnaise. The mayonnaise looks exactly like semen. Oh, God. I did not consume Christ. any of it. I did That's not on consume your chip now. a single... I, I looked at this this bottle and went, no, nope, thank you very much. I don't, I'm not even sure how come I came, how come I came across it. Had it... <laughs> Um, right so that's it then we're we're there we've made it um so thank you very much for coming on sam well thank you for having me yes no it's always nice to have a guest um in fact october is going to be a good month for guests i think we've got a few lined up so that's nice um next 
week will be Christine with my cousin Vinny. Uh, and he is actually my cousin Vinny. That's, yeah, I know. Wow. It's good stuff, isn't it? Seek out, right? If we don't get uh, oh, it's not Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, no. No. Oh, no but he's from Lancashire. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I like him already. Yeah, so thanks as always again to Matthew and uh, thanks to me. Um, and the last thing to say, oh no, follow the social medias. Yeah, no, follow the social media. Yep. Go on the Facebook group, Create Psychopaths, a, 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 a horror movie podcast. Instagram, I've been good on Instagram lately. I really have. Uh, creative underscore psychopaths underscore. And I even sort of tell you what I'm doing and post a meme or two because that's the kind of guy I am. I'm, I'm a meme kind of guy. Uh, horror memes, obviously, because uh, that's what I'm known for. I'm not known for horror memes. I've, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, but I don't post pictures of my face usually, so that's not... Oh, do I? Just go on there. Go follow everything. And uh, do we have anything else people want to look at? No? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually... Um... One, one day we'll get a TikTok. We'll upload some dances and... I don't know. I have got a TikTok, but nobody follows us, so don't worry about that. Twitter? I don't really tweet, to be honest with you. I'm not I'm not a good Twitterer. This has gone off. This has gone off the rails now. I was gonna say bye, and now I'm half arse selling the social medias. Um <laughs> so I think the best thing for me to say now is bye. Cheerio. See you later. <laughs>